I would bet that none of you have ever been the guest of honor at a banquet or a wedding and had your host command that a robe, a ring, and a pair of shoes be brought out to you. Any of you ever had that experience? Yes, you have indicated you have not. Jesus tells the story of a man who experienced that. And this is how it all went down. It in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. We will read verse 11 to verse 24. Jesus continued that there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I want to say to us, first of all, this morning, that there is plenty of grace for the brother who strayed. Can I say that again? There is plenty of grace for the brother who strayed. Now, you cannot read this story without being struck with the impression that the younger son is disrespectful, selfish, wasteful, and degenerate. Now, he's disrespectful because he doesn't have the decency of waiting until his father's death before asking for his inheritance. In Jewish culture, that is the same as saying, I wish you were dead so that I could finally put my hands on your money. So he's disrespectful. He's selfish because his world revolves around himself. He's thinking only about himself. He feels entitled. Give me what is mine, he says. He's wasteful because he squanders all of his inheritance. He doesn't tithe any of it. He doesn't save any of it. He doesn't invest any of it. He doesn't 
give any of it to charity. He isn't generous. He squanders all of it. He's degenerate because he engages in a wild lifestyle in a distant country. He squanders all of his inheritance. He squanders his virtue on partying and prostitutes. I want to say to us this morning that life in the distant country will do that to you. And yet, too many of our young people are too eager to travel to the distant country. They can't wait to grow up, can't wait to leave mom and dad's house and travel off and experience life all by themselves. But in the distant country, you end up being stripped of everything that is virtuous, everything that you had coming to you from the Father. Stripped of your faith, your money, your virtue, maybe even your life. I'm told that sin takes you farther than you ever thought you'd go. It keeps you there longer than you ever intended to stay. And it costs you more than you ever expected to pay. Now, can you imagine spending everything you own and waking up in a strange country to a famine because of supply chain issues? And we're having a lot of those these days, aren't we? A lot of supply chain issues. People are buying up everything because they're afraid that maybe when they went back to the store, they wouldn't get anything. This young man wakes up and finds that there are supply chain issues. There's a famine. There's no food in the pantry. Nobody offering charity. Nobody willing to hire him. No jobs available. Except to a pig farmer. Now the thing about this story that a lot of people miss is that in our culture we'll say, okay, it's, it's good to work on a pig farm. That is, there's no issue with that. In Jewish culture, that was offensive. Because Jews never associated with pork, with pigs. And so the, the, what is really being said here in the story is that this man sunk so low that he was willing even to engage in things, in a lifestyle, in work that was offensive to Jews. Just to be able to stay alive. So that's what he did. And that's what happens to us when we wake up in a distant country, having left the father's house. We go off to a distant country. Away from our Christian upbringing, away from our church family, away from the Holy Spirit's influence, away from our values, away from accountability. That's what happens in the distant country. No accountability. No memory of faith and youth group and VBS and all that stuff. You kick all of that off. Caution is thrown to the wind. You end up being stripped of everything that God had for you as an inheritance. Now thankfully, God's grace allows you in the distant country to come to your senses. Now coming to your senses is the realization that life in the distant country is far worse compared to living in the father's house. Looking for love in bars and prostitutes is nothing compared to the unconditional love that you experience in the father's house. Losing your money and your virtue 
among the bright lights of the distant country is far worse than being a faithful servant in the Father's house. It's only the grace of God that allows us to come to our senses. And thankfully, many of us have all else we would still have been in that distant country. So this man comes to his senses by the grace of God, and he asks this question, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and I am here starving to death? In other words, when I was at my father's house, I had everything that was available, all the comforts and the amenities of the father's house. But here I am in the distant country, and I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went back to his father's house. Now coming to your senses is good. But getting up and going back to the father's house is even better. See, he didn't leave on good terms. And going back to the father's house when you haven't, hadn't left on good terms, that's a difficult thing to do. It requires a lot of humility to do that. It takes a lot of humility to say the three words that are the most difficult to say. I have sinned. It takes humility to repent, to admit that you have sinned against heaven, against God, even against your very self. It's never easy to go back to the father's house, broken and empty and ashamed and guilty and repenting. But if you need forgiveness, that is exactly what you have to do. You have to get up. You have to humble yourself. You have to go back to the father to repent in humility. So that is exactly what this selfish, disrespectful, wasteful, and degenerate young man did. He got up and he went back to the father's house and he receives forgiveness instead. He's not condemned. He's forgiven. He's restored to a relationship instead of being turned away. God always has enough grace for the one who strayed. Always is grace. Secondly, there is just as much grace for the brother who stayed. So there's grace for the one who strayed. There's also grace for the one who stayed. Now in the older son, we see someone who is the exact opposite of the younger son. He's never left home at all. Never. He's never squandered anything. He's never messed with alcohol or prostitutes. He's never strayed to the distant country. Instead, he is the epitome of discipline, duty, hard work, morality, obedience. But listen to what happens when he comes home from his duties in the field. Meanwhile, the older son who was in, the, was in the field, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. You would think that he would kind of go in, right, and see what was going on. He, he, he calls um, a servant and he inquires. Your, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has 
he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Now notice two things that are absent from the older brother's resume. He has no joy in his life, and he has no capacity whatsoever for grace. That's a bad combination right there. No joy in your life, and no capacity to extend grace at all. He only understands duty, morality, and these two things make him feel better than the person who messed up. I want to say to us this morning, don't be like the older brother. Never forget that, but for the grace of God, that is exactly what we would be like. Never forget that. I think too often we as Christians forget that. Had it not been for the grace of God, you and I would never be where we are today. So morality is good. I'm not knocking that. Morality is good. But morality that has no, no room for grace is bad. Can I say that again? Morality is good. But morality that has no room for grace is bad. And so the older brother's life is a caution to us to learn how to balance truth and grace. Now Warren Wisby said this about the need for us to find balance, this same balance that I'm talking about. I quote him. He says, truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. Can I say that again? Truth without love is brutality. In other words, if all you're able to do is to tell people the truth, then you can be brutal at times. You can really hurt them because of your penchant for just speaking the truth. Some of us are at the other extreme, that we are all about love, all right? And so love without truth is hypocrisy, because there are times that you do need to tell the truth. And there are times that you do need to extend love. And so there's a healthy balance that we need to learn as Christians. When I look at Jesus' life, I see that Jesus married truth and grace together. The Bible says that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And when he performed this marriage between these two entities, he did not intend for there ever to be a divorce between them. So whenever truth says, you messed up, grace says, but Jesus' blood took care of your mess. Whenever truth says, you should have stayed, grace says, but I'm glad you came back. Whenever truth says you're guilty, grace says you're forgiven. Anybody glad for the grace of God this morning? Amen. Amen. And so the older brother, he is long on truth, but he is short on grace. And so instead of celebrating his, his prodigal brother's return, he is angry. He feels that his own morality, his own goodness, his own ability to keep the rules and the fact that he never strayed to the distant country, that these things make him entitled to be in the spotlight. So he becomes angry. 
Because you see, he has never squandered his father's money on alcohol or bars or prostitutes. Now, how angry can you get with your brother for not being willing to celebrate his return when he comes back home? How angry can you get not to be able to do that? He's so angry and he begins to pontificate here. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I thought he was working lovingly for his father. <laughs> you know, he says, I'm slaving for you. And never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I thought he hadn't been forbidden to actually celebrate. When this son of yours, notice he's this son of yours. He's not my brother. He's, he's, he's this son of yours. He's disowning him. This son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You killed a fattened calf for him. Now how dangerous it is to serve God with this kind of attitude. It's dangerous. It's extremely dangerous to pride yourself in your own morality while lacking the capacity to celebrate somebody who comes back after he has left and been messed up. I believe that God wants Brown's Chapel to be a church where grace is allowed to speak just as loudly as truth does. Let us strive by God's help to be that kind of a church. Here's our third and final point. Grace never discriminates between either brother. Now, I believe that the best perspective for us to understand this story is to understand it from the perspective of the father of these two very different brothers. I believe that this father, because I'm a, I'm a parent, I'm a father, I believe that this father is as hurt by the brother who stayed as he is hurt by the brother who, who what did I say first? Strayed? Yeah. Okay, let me, let me say that over again. Yes, straight and stayed. <laughs> yes, stayed. He's as hurt by the brother who stayed as he is by the brother who strayed. Right? Because, you know, you, you're, if you're a dad, you, you know your children. You love your children. All right? If one leaves after you have done everything to make sure that he's comfortable, you've provided for him, you've taught him the right way, and he's rebellious against that and he leaves, you're hurt by that. But if you have another one who stays at home and he is dutiful and obedient, but he's only serving you um, with that, there's no joy in his life and he can't appreciate his own brother for coming back, uh, you're hurt by that too. The younger brother had gone and, and, and gotten into a downward spiral of lostness and wickedness and debauchery and all those things. But this father has never stopped loving him. Never stop longing for him to return home. And when he does return home, he runs to him, he feels compassion for him, he throws his arms around his neck and he kisses him. What a picture of a father. A father's love, a father's grace. I think this tells us this morning that God is never put off by our mess. And 
we do occasionally accumulate mess in our lives. I mean, you accumulate mess in your homes after a while, don't you? I mean, things, you know, things sometimes as neatly as you try to keep, unless you are uh, like somebody who is in the magazines or in these pictures that you show, you do accumulate mess along the way. Sometimes as Christians, we do as well. One of the most beautiful pictures that God ever painted in scripture that talks about the way that he deals with mess, I believe is in the book of Hosea. If you get a chance to read the Old Testament book of Hosea, you can't read that book without coming away with a sense of God's heart. If God could ask a prophet whose wife leaves his home and goes out and becomes a prostitute and God says to him go after her bring her back into your house and be a husband to her again and raise up children with her this is after she has gone out and played the field with other men and God says to her to him go find her bring her back into your house and love her again as your own wife if God could do that is there any mess in my life or yours that God cannot clean up. Maybe an abortion. Maybe an affair. Maybe an addiction. You and I can never sink so low that God's grace can't meet us there and lift us up and bring us back. I'm told that Billy Graham was driving through a small town and he was actually speeding and he was pulled over by an officer who, who gives him a ticket and Graham pleaded guilty on the spot but the officer says you got to go to court and um, you stand before the judge and so that he did and the judge asked him Mr. Graham are you guilty or not guilty and to which Graham said I'm guilty and the judge says to him that'll be ten dollars a dollar for every mile that you were over the speed limit and then he recognized who Graham was so he says to him, yeah, well, he says to the, um, the um, well, he says to Graham, you have violated the law. The fine must be paid, but I'm going to pay it for you. And so he took the $10 bill from his own wallet, attached it to the ticket, gave it to the officer, and then he took Graham out to lunch. <laughs> how neat is that? <laughs> I believe that that is how God treats us. That is the very way that God treats us as well. And so the father, this father runs to his son while he's still a long way off, which is a picture, a picture of the length to which God will go to receive someone who is on their way back. And there are many, even as I speak, maybe some who are even here, who are on their way back. God is only too willing to run to you, to embrace you as he did the son, kiss you on the cheek, which is a picture of of what grace does. Grace asks no question. This father does not even ask his son, where were you? What were you doing? Or all that stuff. There, there are no questions whatsoever asked. There's just a kiss of forgiveness and a kiss of restoration. God runs to us as undignified as it is for God to run. I'm told in Jewish culture that men don't run. 
for a man to run is undignified. That's, they just, just don't run. You walk. That's the dignified thing for a man to do. I don't know if you've ever heard the song by Benny Hester, When God Ran. Um, I actually prefer Phillips Crane and D, Craig and Dean version, Dean's version, though. That is, I, I, I listened to that song over and over this week as I worked on this message. And every time I listened to that version, I literally had goosebumps that came over my body. Because, first of all, it was sang with a lot of passion. And secondly, it, it's, it really is the truth. That God runs to us. And these are the words of at least the... Um, at least one verse of that song. The only time I ever saw him run was when he ran to me, he took me in his arms, he held my head to his chest and said, my sons come home again. He lifted my face, wiped the tears from my eyes with forgiveness in his voice. He said, son, do you know that I still love you? He caught me by surprise when God ran. And believe me, when you imbibe those words and you allow them to really sink deeply, you get a picture and a sense of God's heart, God's compassion. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This son of mine, there is no disowning in that. This son of mine, this daughter of mine. The father must have also been hurt by the son who stayed. Because you see, this son is joyless. He's serving the father, but there's no joy in his life. He's joyless. He's unable to appreciate that there is as much grace to welcome back the sinner as there is grace for the one who never left. Both are loved equally by God. And so listen to the words of the oldest, or to the older son. My son, you are always with me. And everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Notice how the father switches back the words now. The older brother said, this son of yours. His father now says, this brother of yours is your brother. Be glad for him. Nothing says I love you better than a ring. I thought the women would just, I thought the women would just lift off the, this roof with that. Nothing says I love you better than a ring. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A ring is a symbol of God's unending love for you. Your money may have been gone. Your purity may have been compromised. Your reputation might even have taken a hit. And yet God says, none of that matters. I love you. And here's my ring to prove it. And how about the robe? That's God's righteousness. And God clothes us with his righteousness. We didn't work for it, by the way. He gave it to us by grace. what God's righteousness does. It covers us. Covers up our guilt. Covers up our scars. Covers up our brokenness and our mistakes. 
And how about the shoes and the feet? That's to allow us to run with the gospel. The good news of our God took us back after we came back. The gospel of peace. So we can run to tell others of how God welcomed us back. How he forgave our sin, how he cleaned up our mess, and how he threw a party to welcome us back home. Here's the bottom line. In fact, there are two bottom lines to a message this morning. The Father's house is far better than the far country. Far better. It's better to be in God's house and to be with God than it is to be in a distant country away from him. And then secondly, we as believers and Christians, we need to become better at balancing truth and grace. I don't know of anybody who does it perfectly, but we can learn how to do it better. I'm going to ask you to apply this message in a little, little bit of a different way today. I'm going to ask you which character in the story best represents you. In other words, how do you see yourself in this story? I believe that every parable, every story that Jesus told, when we read it, we should ask ourselves, how am I reflected in this story? Is this about me? What, what character in this story? There are three of them. And which one best represents us? So first of all, are you more like the older brother? And so I have a line there where you can admit that if you are. Are you more like the older brother? Maybe you, maybe you never left home. Maybe yours is a story of morality. You cannot identify with drunkards and those who squander away their lives with prostitutes and alcohol and those things. You, you have never been wild. That doesn't speak of you at all. Maybe you didn't leave. I want to challenge you with this thought this, mo this morning. I want you to know that it was God's grace that kept you in the Father's house. It was not because you were so good. It was not because you put boundaries up around yourself. It wasn't because that you were so good at behaving. It was God's grace that kept you in the Father's house. Always remember that. Never allow your morality to make you angry over somebody who is messed up, who comes back to the father's house either. If you never left, God doesn't love you more because you stayed or because you kept it together. Nor does he love you less because your salvation story is not as dramatic as one who left and came back. For, you know, for a long time as a young believer, I always used to think that my salvation story wasn't dramatic enough. You know, some people would, would stand up and they would testify of how, you know, all these things happened. You know, they were doing this stuff and God met them, changed them, transformed them, radically, you know. And I would listen to their story and mine was boring. <laughs> you know, boring story. I was, I was pretty, you know, obedient. You know, yeah, I was a little rebellious, but you know, my story wasn't that dramatic. And sometimes I used to think, well, because my story is not as dramatic as the other person, then maybe my salvation experience is not quite as solid. We don't have to have a dramatic story. In other words, we don't have to go out to the distant country to prove that God is gracious. We can experience the grace of God even by staying. 
Secondly, are you like the younger brother? Maybe you did leave. Maybe you've squandered everything. Maybe you have a sense this morning of shame and brokenness and guilt. I want to say to you this morning that God never, has never stopped loving you. And he's still looking for you to return. He's longing, actually, for you to come back. God wants to do nothing more than to run after you, embrace you, kiss you, put a ring on your hand, robe on your back, and shoes on your feet. But he also wants you to admit these three words. I have sinned. I have sinned. I want to ask you finally, are you more like Christ? Are you more like God in the story? You see, God loves the prodigal. I mean, he loves you. He loves me. But he also loves the one who strayed away, got messed up. But who is coming back? God runs after lost people to show them that he's a God of grace. God forgives every sin. God delights in broken people and lost people coming back to him. Are we like that? Let us pray together. God, in this moment, our, our hearts again are moved by your grace toward us. We have seen a picture of your heart for the broken, for the lost, for the guilty, for those who have lost everything as they have squandered it away. And God, you have also shown us your heart for those who have stayed, but who have served you more out of duty than out of joy. And God, this morning we ask that as we wait before you, that you would examine our hearts, that your heart of compassion will touch ours. God, I pray over young people who are here this morning and those who may be joining us online, I pray, God, that these young people who are so precious, so precious, so precious, that you would help them never to stray to the distant country, never to stray away from their Christian upbringing, from the influence of the Holy Spirit or from accountability. Lord, help them to realize that there is much more, God, to gain from staying than there is by leaving. God, I pray for somebody this morning who is in the distant country today. That, Lord, you would help them to come to their senses and that you would bring them back. And God, I pray that you'd give us your heart for both. That we would love like you do. That would be the people you've created us to be. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.